0: Classes in session. You're listening to Squat University by Dr. Aaron Horshick. Let's go! Now, let's start the show.
1: depression, in fantasy... Podcast listeners, thank you so much for checking out today's show. This is episode 88 of the Squat University podcast. The goal with each and every one of these shows is to bring you as much value-packed content to help you move better in the gym and in life, decrease your body's aches and pains, and help you reach your true athletic potential. Today's podcast is sponsored by Barefoot Athletics. If you're a strength athlete serious about performance, you know the type of shoe you wear can make a big difference. For those of you that like to lift in a flat sole shoe like a Chuck Taylor, you need to check out the Ursa shoe by Barefoot Athletics. They have a wide toe box that allows you to naturally splay your toes out and use your foot like it was designed. No more cramming your foot into a narrow toe box or smashing your foot into an unnatural position with some of these shoes I know you guys have lifted in before. I've been lifting in the Ursa shoe for any non-Olympic days uh, for a few weeks now, and I absolutely love them. If you go onto barefootathletics.com, that's B-E-A-R, like the animal, and use the code squatU right now, you can get 10% off your order. So check that out. Um, Now on today's podcast, we are going to talk about why a shoe like the Ursus with such a wide toe box and a zero drop is so important for us as athletes and really as human beings. I got to sit down with Dr. Ray McClanahan to talk about one of the most important concepts That most people aren't talking about and that's the five reasons that your shoes probably suck and what you need to do to strengthen your foot and return it to its natural function. This not only has implications in performance but also in just pain and injury management. So without further ado let's get to today's show. Ray thank you so much for coming on the Squat University podcast. Uh, For those out there who are not familiar with you can you give us a little background into your story and all the work that you do?
2: You bet, Aaron. Thanks for having me on. It's 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 a great pleasure to spend this time with you today. You're welcome. Uh, the backstory for me is a passion for long distance running that started back in 1984 when I saw the movie Chariots of Fire. And uh, for the audience that's familiar with that movie, uh, it's about the Olympics and it's about running. And uh, that movie just moved me in such a way that I decided that my passion was going to be trying to make the Olympic team. But um, unfortunately, like a lot of runners, to this very day, within a within a Couple of weeks to a couple of months of intense training, I was injured, um, and I remember going to the orthopedic doctor and being told I had runner's knee. And uh, well, I knew that I knew you know my knee hurt, and I was a runner. I was expecting to get some some reasons why, you know, uh, why why did my knee hurt anyway? Long story short, I went off to Liberty University in Lynchburg, Virginia, on a track and field scholarship. Spent most of my time there injured, and depending upon how much time we have, I can share a couple stories that were footwear related. In other words, the doctor thought I had a foot problem because my foot hurt. But looking back, um, it was a one-to-one relationship with footwear. And I'm sure we'll dive into some of that today. Um, Having all these problems and not reaching my goal made me want to take a deeper diet, made me want to go back to school. Um, I got to hang out with a buddy of mine who is a podiatrist and a runner. I got to see what he did in his practice. So I went out to Philadelphia and spent four years uh, learning podiatry. And it's, it might be surprising to you, as it is to most people who I have this conversation with, in podiatry school, you learn how to treat people's feet. You don't necessarily learn how to, how to identify the causes of the problems, um, which now looking back, I still find that um, quite interesting. And I'm actually working fervently to try to change that presently to get podiatry curriculums to include some natural foot health principles as, well, as, as opposed to just treatment-based principles. But what's really fascinating about my journey is um, I came out here to Portland to become a surgeon. I did a two-year surgical residency operating on all kinds of foot problems. And interestingly, one of the foot problems that's very common to have an operation on is a bunion. And uh, for the audience, that's where your big toe shifts towards your second toe and oftentimes goes under the second toe. So on both of my feet, my second toe sat on top of my big toe. And... About eight times a week I'm doing an operation on people who have feet just like mine. And one part of the operation that after about a year and a half really started bothering me was that we cut a major muscle off of the inside of the big toe as a component of that operation. And I remember thinking back then, um, after seeing this over and over and over, why can't we stretch this muscle? You know, Why can't we rehab this muscle as opposed to just identifying that it's short and tight and cutting it away from the bone? Hmm. So um, at the same time, I read a paper by my mentor, Dr. William Rossi, R-O-S-S-I. Um, his paper and three others are on our website. You're more than welcome to link to those.
0: Yeah. But the, name of
2: the paper was, Why Shoes Make Normal Gait Impossible. Mm-hmm. And at that time, I had a treadmill set up in my clinic. I was watching everybody walk and run and looking at their movement patterns and trying to identify areas of weakness or areas that we could improve them. Um, so that title of that article was very appealing to me, but when I read the article, it totally blew my mind. Um, it's the stuff that you and I will talk about today, uh, yeah. which by the way, um, as much as I would love to own the work that I do, I learned it from other people, yep. you know, um, especially Dr. Rossi. And the sad thing about Dr. Rossi is that he passed away about 10 years ago, largely not gaining any traction in podiatry oftentimes made fun of because of the mm-hmm. stance that he took, which was a natural stance, which, mm-hmm. I mean, no matter what you decide to do with your foot health, even if you decide that you need a treatment, you always want to go back to, to natural, you know, yeah. So I learned that from Dr. Rossi. He wrote three other, well, he wrote 1,250 articles, several books. Um, the other articles that are on the website, the audience would probably also appreciate and enjoy. Fashion Footwear, um, Primary Cause of Adult Foot Deformity. Uh, Children's Footwear, uh, Launching Site for Adult Ills. Mm. And then I forget the title of the fourth one, but I've paid copyright privileges. Anybody can reproduce them, pass them on to your community. But if you read Dr. Rossi, you'll realize why what he stood for and what he taught is starkly different from podiatry as it exists throughout most of the world today. Um, So when I read it, I decided that I was going to experiment on my own body. I was going to see if I could take my bunions and my hammer toe, my second overlapping toe, Mm -hmm. and stretch them. And I didn't learn any of this in podiatry, but I I, uh, got to hanging out with some physical therapy friends of mine who also had clients in the nursing home that I was working at. And I'm going over there for the wounds and the calluses and the corns and the toenails and so forth. But they were there for Strengthening people and, I, and uh, rehabbing people. And I remember one lady in particular laid on her bed so long that she got contracted. Her whole body got contracted mm-hmm. just from Im- immo- immobility. And my buddy, my physical therapy buddy, uh, methodically warmed her and put her through range of motion over the course of weeks mm-hmm. and got a lot of her motion back. And I remember thinking to myself, um, why don't we do more of that with feet? Yeah. Why is the mindset that if feet have a problem, we're either going to prop them up with an orthotic, which is a primary portion of my training too, or um, take them to the operating room and intervene on them surgically. Mm. Um, But what I discovered from Dr. Rossi and from my own experience, and now we've we've reproduced that in thousands of people, if not hundreds of thousands of people worldwide. I was able to reverse my bunions and I, I, my feet are, I've got pictures of my feet. People see my feet at conferences. So, um, it's a, it's a cure Yeah. and I'm trained to believe that it, that that cannot occur. I'm trained to believe that bunions run in your family and it's hereditary and it has to do with your arch structure and not anything to do with your footwear. Mm-hmm. But what Dr. Rossi taught me is it's everything to do with our footwear yeah. and to the point you made at when we briefly chatted at the introduction, um, most of our footwear holds our big toe in an unnatural alignment that will never, ever allow our arches to function properly.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: So I'm trained to ignore that big toe position because we all like pointed shoes, even for <laughs> athletics. Yeah. And I'm trained to just watch that arch go into those dysfunctional positions and then try to prop it back up. Mm-hmm. And I worked for an orthotics lab for five years until I read Dr. Rossi and I had to resign because I realized I wasn't helping people in the long term. Yeah. I'm not opposed to orthotics. I still make orthotics for people. Um, 5% of my patient population probably uses an arch orthotic. Mm -hmm. As opposed to an orthotic that I designed, which is a different kind of orthotic. It's a toe orthotic. I actually have a pair of them. Awesome. So (laughs) um, you've discovered then it's trying to move your big toe back where it belongs you know Um, and I don't mean to uh, take over the whole conversation but let me just step back briefly and share with the audience that if you were to come visit us in Portland Oregon the very first thing we look at is the natural shape of a human foot Mm -hmm. and it's lost on most of us I think that the human foot that we're born with is the shape we should be maintaining throughout our whole lives and I grew up in Liberia West Africa where I saw people that didn't own shoes Mm-hmm. And even the senior citizens in those populations have feet that look exactly like they did at birth, widest at the tips of the toes. And that's a, that that's the feature that blew me away more than anything that Dr. Rossi taught me was all of a sudden it made perfect sense why so many people have foot problems. Mm-hmm. We're not even lining them up the way they're naturally supposed to be lined up. And then you add load to that like you guys do and like we do with running and it's, it's no wonder so many people get hurt, Yeah. you know, in every year. I mean, the studies on running injuries, depending upon who you look at are anywhere from about 40 to 80% of every runner that runs in a conventional style running shoe, which we can dive into here
0: yeah. is
2: going to have an injury for every year that they run in those shoes. That doesn't surprise me anymore. Cause I was that guy for about 15 years, but it, um, it bothers me because I realize it doesn't have to be that way. Yeah. You know, the marketing machines of the of the footwear industry, though, are pretty powerful in terms of what they can get people to believe in. Very true. You know, and yeah. I looked at some of the stuff that you put out there on footwear and uh, some of the Nike slogans, Bo knows and so forth. And yeah, you're right. People jump all over that stuff. Well, if it's good for Bo, it's going to be good for me, too. Yeah. Um, but I, I've i got Nike in my own backyard. I I visit with them all the time. I meet with the designers. I see their athletes. I see their employees. And they're a design company.
0: Mm-hmm. They're
2: not a performance footwear company. They're a design company. Mm. Um, and that's a hard reality to swallow when they've got the best athletes in the world wearing their footwear. Very true. But, but also harming their body by extension. Um, yeah. So that's how I got into this. And that's why I love natural foot health. It's, it's, well, for one, it's natural. It's how we're all supposed to be lined up. It's cost effective. I'm not making, you know, $500, $800 orthotics to put in people's shoes. Um, it's lifestyle medicine so it's something that we should be pursuing our whole lives and it works you yeah. know um, so the the analogy that I present to people is the uh, the silicone devices we put into our jaws Invisalign I think it might be called mm-hmm. and you wouldn't think that a piece of soft pliable plastic or silicone could change your palate or change your jaw structure but it literally can yeah and you would know this from your work that progressively applied forces applied frequently can bring about some very profound changes. Very true. So the entire nature of our work is just guiding people back to their natural foot anatomy, which to begin with is a foreign concept to most of them. It also takes a lot longer than just jacking somebody's arch up with an orthotic. Yeah. So you have to have the right patient population to dedicate themselves to that pursuit, which is why I work with athletes. Mm hmm. Um, I used to treat everybody and I would see people that were not interested in how their body functioned. They were interested in how their outfit looked, you know, and how their their fashion footwear looked with their, with their dress. And so nowadays we screen people because if you're not willing to wear shoes that are shaped like your foot, all I can do is treat your body. You know, I can try to make your pain go away, which is worthy, but um, it's a short term pursuit. You know, Mm -hmm. we, we need to be looking at the long term, And I know you know that, and I know that's what you're all about.
1: Yeah, I know the the one thing that I constantly preach to people is that if you are very, very confident in saying that performance is your main you know, pursuit, whether you're a weightlifter, a powerlifter, a crossfitter, a triathlete, movement quality allows you to follow that pursuit and find what that potential really is. And the better quality of movement, the, the more potential you have to perform on the end. And when it comes to your feet, it sets the foundation for your body's house of cards. And if you have a rocky foundation, the rest of your body, the way in which you're moving is always built on an unstable foundation. And um, you know, just getting people to illuminate something that prior was invisible. That You put socks on, you put shoes on, and you don't even think about your feet. And you assume that because you're standing upright, your feet are doing what they're doing. And they are doing it correctly, and I think one of the first things that people, you know, it's that light bulb going off is whenever they come to me for any type of injury evaluation, I'll tell them to get out of their shoes, get out of your socks, and I want to see you move. I want to, you know, you to perform a basic body weight squat or a single leg squat, and just to see people realize how poor their foot stability is and the function of their foot. It's like that light bulb going off that they never even realized it before. And sometimes just feeling for the ground and creating that stable foot is enough to change not only their movement quality, but then their performance. So they're adding weight onto their squat, onto their clean and snatch, things that they care about because they're very performance driven, but just by focusing on something as, as foundational as their foot. And um, obviously, let's, let's take it back to this with, you always said the, the natural way that the foot should be set up what does that what does that picture look like because most people they don 't really realize well, what was a natural foot look like, and what does what is the way in which we use our body and the way in which we have put our body through these shoes throughout our years? what does it change basically what are the big things that you often see?
2: Yeah, the reason why I use the term natural is I feel like the industry sort of confused the athletic population by calling some of the footwear minimal footwear okay. Uh, which has a lot of good features to it, but there's a lot of minimal footwear that is not shaped like a natural foot. Mm. There's another term out there that I really don't care for much, but I, but I suppose it helps people understand that some folks will call it barefoot style footwear, barefoot style shoes. Uh I also don't like that term very much. Um, but to answer your question, uh, Aaron, the the natural human foot should look like it did at birth throughout our whole lives which is to say that the widest part of the foot should not be at the ball of the foot. Mm. So most of the people listening to this, if you're in your bare feet and looking at your bare feet and haven't done what we're going to talk about today, most people are widest at the ball. Mm -hmm. And to your point, it's lost on us and it's sort of invisible because we covered up with socks and shoes. But we also look at each other's feet, pretty much look mostly the same. So we, we don't think anything of it but the other features of a natural foot um that most footwear will negatively impact is and this there's a graphic on the front of dr rossi's article why shoes make normal gait impossible that um is very worthy of talking about what happens to the whole body column as soon as we start adding on a one inch heel a two inch heel and a three inch heel and obviously um we have to make compensations throughout our whole body ankle is one of them and i know you you talk a lot about that um we also make profound compensations in our in our hips and in our core Mm -hmm. um so realistically the natural human foot should not only be widest at the tips of the toes not at the ball of the foot our heel bone our calcaneus which is one end of our arch should always be flat and level and stable with the other end of our arch which is the metatarsal heads and all of our toe bones Mm -hmm. So this is a concept that we've recently been trying to get people to think about as well. There's there's uh, the idea that we have a tripod, and I know that you use that concept some. Mm-hmm. and I like that concept, but I even like better the idea that we start teaching people about the foot is a hexapod. Or
0: mm-hmm. in
2: other words, if we truly wanna use our, our arch, which is also our toes, we should, in my opinion, extend it on out to the tips of all five of our toes. Mm-hmm. Um, so when the foot's positioned like that, um, most feet will do fine. But the problem is, as, as we start talking about footwear and you start looking at the shoes that your audience is wearing that is available at the shoe store, there's four design features that are almost universally gonna inhibit our ability to do what we wanna do athletically. Mm-hmm. Um, elevated heels are notorious for creating ankle joint restriction. Um, And I've got a bunch of studies on my website, too. You may have already looked at a lot of this stuff. Um, It's available to your audience. Um, Our website is correcttoes.com. Then you would go to the foot help section. Then we've got articles and studies. But in 2011, a group of researchers took two two groups of females. One group functioned on a two-inch heel, which is common for a lot of your females. Mm -hmm. And the other group functioned on a flat shoe, also known as a zero-drop shoe these days in the industry. And then they followed them for, I think it was a year. It might've been six months, but for an extended period of time. And then they did an MRI of their calf muscles and Achilles tendons. Hmm. And the two inch heel group was 13% shorter compared to the, shoe, the group that wore flat shoes. Oh, wow. So one of the primary reasons why you're going to be seeing a lot of ankle joint dorsiflexion restrictions, just like I am, is we teach our body to be like that, mm-hmm. you know, with, with our footwear. So if there's one, profound uh feature in my opinion at least for running although I'll, I'll be honest with you aaron i don't know weightlifting like you do mm-hmm. um and i've looked at some of your stuff in terms of the body positioning with a little bit of a heel and so forth mm-hmm. um but in terms of long-term negative complications an elevated heel will shorten our, the back of our body and not just our calves you know yeah our,
1: and that, that's right. a big reason why i always try to tell my weightlifters that the, the reason the weightlifting shoe is developed by having that, that heel in the back is because it allowed a weightlifter to sink deeper into a squat with a more upright chest. So performance wise, it allowed them to be in a little bit more technically proficient position. However, in saying that, I feel like a lot of the injuries that I see in weightlifters are because they never expose their body to moving freely without the weightlifting shoe. Any single time they're squatting, They're in their weightlifting shoe. Anytime they're picking up a barbell, they don't warm up without their weightlifting shoes on. They just put their weightlifting shoes on. So they never expose their body to what it is or what it should be doing movement-wise. And then it allows them to hide these problems. And then they mask, you know, and eventually it it culminates with an injury. Um, So, you know, getting out of those weightlifting shoes as often as possible. That's why I always tell my weightlifters, warm up without any shoes on, get out of your socks and shoes, expose your body to that full range of motion, and then when it's time to be as technically proficient as possible with your heavyweight, then put your shoes on.
2: Uh, I think if we could see inside of the shoe too, Aaron, I, I think the shoe with an elevated heel and pointed toes, I think some of that motion that gives them a better posture might be coming about from pronation of their arches, which you, you won't see. Yeah, You know what I mean?
1: Well, and that's the other thing too with the, the Nikes that I told you about. I just took off, and I've got probably – eight pairs of weightlifting shoes in my closet right now from all my years. And I took the soles out of every one of them. And in every single one, the toe, or you can see the imprint from my great toe. It's completely smashed in towards the rest of my toes. There's not a single pair of shoes that allowed that big toe to splay out.
2: You're normal. Uh, we check that in every patient that comes into the clinic or we've been doing that for about 12 years. We also photograph them mm. and 90% of people fit their shoes just like you're describing. Yeah. In fact, if you're okay with it, Aaron, let's dive into the shoe fitting piece because let's do it. Yeah. if there were one thing I would say to your audience that I hope they take away from our time together, if all they do is do what you just said, start engaging their bare feet more often,
0: mm-hmm.
2: uh, that's step one. But step two would be if they choose their footwear based on what we're about to describe,
0: mm-hmm.
2: their body will function so much better and they likely are to avoid a visit with you or I for anything other than getting stronger.
0: Yeah
2: you know? Um, So Dr. Rossi pointed out the fallacy of the way we look at our footwear. It's all for fashion, um, even the athletic footwear. And that surprised me. But then I started thinking about it. And then I did what you did, which in our clinic, we call the sock liner test or the insole test.
0: Hmm.
2: And for the audience, um, most athletic shoes, weightlifting shoes included, running shoes, will have a soft, removable piece of foam also known as the insult, also known as the um, sock liner. And if you pull that out of your shoe, maybe even while we're visiting this morning and stand on it, or I should say this afternoon, um, if, if they're like you and I, 90% of them are going to see what you saw, which is, and especially if they spread their toes, mm-hmm. that's what's really eye-opening. So if we can all agree that we come into the world with the natural human foot shape the way it should be, and that sh- we should maintain that,
0: mm-hmm.
2: we should actually be able to spread our toes inside of our footwear.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: but most people can't get their foot to go in a natural position uh, because of the tapered toe box. So there's a device that everybody's who's listening is familiar with the Brannock device, the metal measuring device you see at the shoe stores Yeah, came out in 1927 in Syracuse, New York um, still widely used across the world. But what people need to understand is that device is designed to fit fashion footwear.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: It's not for athletic footwear, but we use it for athletic footwear. So for the audience that metal measuring device will give you three measurements the overall foot length measurement which can be helpful Mm -hmm. it'll give an overall arch length measurement which for some people can be helpful because you can have a long arch and really short toes or a short arch and really long toes but the third measurement part where they give you the letter which corresponds to your width Mm. that's where that system goes awry okay because that width will be given at the ball of your foot which then guarantees that the shoe is gonna get narrower from there. Makes sense. And I did a short video that you also might wanna uh, link to your audience. It's called pronation versus overpronation. You can find it on YouTube. Yeah.
0: I'll and I basically show, show
2: what happens to our feet when we do those things. When we lift our heel, pinch our toes, and then the third thing is when we lift our toes above the ball of the foot. So there's a feature built into most shoes out there um, not so much the weightlifting shoes, but most every other shoe for hiking, walking, running, it's called a toe spring. And it will hold the tips of the toes about 25 degrees above the ball of the foot. Well, the problem with that, as you know, um, as a a therapist, is the tips of all of our toes are the insertion point of most of our lower leg muscles. Mm -hmm. You know, so The thing when I read Dr. Rossi, it just was like a domino effect of one duh after the other. It's like, oh, no wonder they have tight calves. No wonder their toes are coming up, and no wonder the front of their calves are a problem, and no wonder they can't balance, and on and on and on. So, Mm -hmm. um, essentially, the things we try to avoid are the elevated heel, the tapering toe box, toe spring, and then torsional rigidity. Okay. At least in the running community, Um, we want to make use of our foot as an adapter, as you've pointed out in your work. Mm-hmm. Um, and to do that, we need to allow the foot to make use of its 33 joints and 28 bones. Um, mm-hmm. The problem is if your feet hurt and you put something on that is a little bit stiffer, your feet might not hurt as much. Mm-hmm. You know? But then unfortunately, the long-term negative there is you're not getting stronger, you're atrophying and getting weaker. Mm-hmm. Um, so we, we try to avoid those four things. We try to use the sock liner test as the fitting guide but I look, looking back, I realized why I'd, I developed so many of my problems. I wore size 9 Nike running shoe until I was late 20s probably.
1: Okay.
2: I'm actually a 12, size 12 shoe. Oh, wow. Yeah. So if I'd have done the sock liner test back when I started running as a 17-year-old, um, yeah. I would have seen right away why my body hurts. You yeah. Know? But I didn't. And, yeah. and so unfortunately, I harmed myself for years, which is why I'm so passionate about getting this message out to people so they don't make the mistakes that I made, you know? Yeah. Um, so do you, I know a lot of shoes will have like a built
1: in arch support. Like you'll get that rigid, uh, I guess the inner side of the shoe that's got that arch support. Would you say that for a majority of people, they do not need that arch support if they are finding the proper footwear and have a strong enough foot?
2: Absolutely. Um, but don't take my word for it. That's been studied pretty extensively. A, a good friend of mine from Australia, Dr. Craig Richards, is a primary care doctor who loves running like I do and sees a lot of runners. Yeah. And uh, his runners were all hurt like mine were mm-hmm. years ago, probably up until about 2010. And so he decided to do a study where he went back and he looked at all the studies that suggested that that kind of a built-in arch mechanism in footwear would keep runners out of our offices and help us to perform better. Mm-hmm. It's on my website. It's called is your distance running shoe prescription evidence based mm. published in the uh, British Journal of Sports Medicine, maybe 2009, 10, somewhere in there. But um, there's no evidence that any of those technologies, no matter how good they sound, yeah. are going to keep you out of the doctor's office or help you perform better. Um, and if they did, our offices would be bare, you know. Yeah. Everybody be out functioning at a high level, but I don't know about your office, but that's not the case in my office until we talk about natural foot concepts. Mm-hmm. And then I'm not seeing them again in two months for, to give them a shot for something or prescribe another pill. It's literally life changing for these people. Yeah. Um, it's not good for building a practice if you want to create a high volume <laughs> practice, you know, yeah. but that's not my goal. My goal is to create wellness and help yeah. people achieve, achieve health. I think that's something uh, that's pretty
1: systemic in the medical community nowadays, no matter what, with the amount of uh, devices and uh, medications that are there to try to treat the symptoms rather than actually fix the cause. Um, now, I know one of the things that was most surprising and sort of eye opening to me was how wide that toe box really needs to be. And just looking at all the footwear that I have, um, one of the videos that you did with Chris Duffin, which I thought was amazing. Was showing how when you take your foot and you spread that toe out, and then you said, All right, in this position with this toe spread out, try to pronate. And there was a little pronation, which is natural, like at the bottom of a deep squat, your foot flattens out slightly um, to give you a little bit more base of support. And then you took his toe and you smashed it in a little bit towards the rest of the toes. And you said, From this position, now pronate. And instantly, his foot just collapsed completely over, and his knee came in as well. So for so many people, you can see the link between just having that wide toe splay and how it can directly impact how stable the rest of your foot's going to be and up the rest of the chain. You could have a problem in knee cave and it could not be at all from limited ankle mobility or hip control, but it could be directly related to how you're actually using your foot and the type of footwear that you're using. And we think about how common that is. In the sports of powerlifting and weightlifting but when we look at the type of footwear that people are using it's almost obviously backwards in in what we actually should have
2: if if your audience goes on my website i've got a bunch of different blogs and videos where we actually took an x-ray of people inside of their shoes Mm. and that's very eye-opening and very telling to show people um and this isn't just you ladies, this is you guys as well. You know, the guys wearing their dress shoes to work. Same deal. We took an x-ray of a guy in his dress shoe, which was holding his foot in a bunion configuration. Yeah. So the second most important thing I would say to your audience beyond using the sock liner as the fitting guide is, is what you're talking about here, Aaron, pay attention to your big toe.
1: Yeah.
2: You know, because it's really what governs your arch. Your arch doesn't govern your arch. It's all Mm -hmm. the attachments that go across it out to your tips of your toes
0: mm-hmm.
2: um, so it's it's fascinating how many billions of dollars are being spent by jacking up the arch and ignoring the big toe yeah but to your earlier point you're right it is exaggeratedly wide when you when you actually appreciate what a natural human foot is supposed to be shaped like yeah and that's why i don't know about your audience but that's why a lot of people that i speak to throughout the country are not willing to have healthy feet because they don't want to look that way sure you know, and, and I can appreciate that, but I can also guarantee they're going to have body problems, what you know, of some sort, if not many. And mm-hmm. um, the real tragedy is when I see the older folks that wish they'd have got this when they were 20, you know, mm-hmm. and they're 75 and they've got some joint arthritis and they hurt and they're getting treatment all the time, but they wish they would have prevented things. Yeah, you know. So yeah, oh. the big toe is the big toe is where it's at. You know, mm-hmm. if you, I know you know the anatomy. And the anatomy is fascinating to me. The sustentaculum tali, the ridge of bone on the side of the calcaneus, that flexor helices longus goes under. Uh huh. That's where I think you're getting that control of pronation when your big toe is in direct alignment because your flexor helices longus attaches on that distal phalanx. Mm-hmm. And when people clue into that and they make use of that, um, they'll feel it in their whole body. Yeah. You know, it's, it's, it's how we're designed to be.
1: One of the analogies that Kelly Starrett shared in his book, Becoming a Supple Leopard, that I really liked was he um, compared having your big toe in a good position to gripping a hammer and actually wrapping your thumb around the handle and how much easier it was to hit a nail. And if it's not in a good position, it's like you're trying to hammer with just wrapping your toes or your fingers around the handle. It's just there's no power. There's no ability to control the hammer. So how important it is to just have that big toe in a good position. And that doesn't just mean – depressing it and smashing the toe straight down but actually widening the toes and splaying them out to the side um i know obviously you did a good amount of work with chris duffin and i know you've seen his new shoe with uh barefoot athletics the the ursus
2: what's your opinion on that shoe i love it um i got my first pair probably two weeks ago and um i've been cruising around the clinic in it um i intend to fully wear it but my my uh, social media team wants to take some pictures and so forth but i love it um my toes are exaggeratedly wide because I've been doing this for quite a while. So if, I, I, if I had one request that I did make of Chris, it would be that in the future, maybe even bring the toe box out even a little bit more. Oh, wow. Yeah. Yeah. But again, to that that look is so foreign to people. It really is. We're, we're going to have to do a lot of educating to get people to wrap their brain around it. And In my experience, people oftentimes have to hurt before they're willing to do that. Yeah. You know? I
1: know I've, I've had the pair, uh, for a couple of weeks now and I've been doing my non-Olympic lifts in it. And it's just, it's such a comfortable shoe and it feels so good to finally like spread the feet out. And, but I will say, you know, wearing them around, I've had a lot of people look, give me weird looks about them because it does look like a very foreign type shoe. It doesn't look like a natural shoe that comes to a point, uh, at the very tip of it. Um, so yeah. for people out there that have obviously been in your classic, You know, athletic shoe that is obviously, as we know now, not right, not optimal for optimal foot function. What steps can they take? What are some practical steps they can take to slowly get their foot back into a more natural position? And what type of footwear, maybe? We'll break that up into two questions. What are some of the foot options, footwear options that they should be looking for?
2: Yeah, first thing I would say is um, just start taking your shoes off more, go around your home barefoot more. Um, As time goes by, Go outside a little bit. You know, I run outside in my bare feet a little bit every day. I feel like there's nothing more potent to cue my entire nervous system about what it's supposed to do. Um, Second thing I would ask them to do is take the sock liner or the insole out and stand on that. That should be a motivator for about 90% of folks listening. Mm -hmm. Um, Third thing I would do is look at our our website. We've got a shoe list there uh, where we list all the brands that are going to enable people to have healthy feet. Mm-hmm. um and so for weightlifting the ursus will be what we're going to recommend for people as as i mentioned earlier on primarily we see runners hikers and walkers mm-hmm. so we're recommending ultra altra but like i mentioned the whole list is there um a fundamental problem that i'm sure you're engaging that the audience should be careful about is to not make that switch too quickly
1: okay
2: um when there's a book called Born to Run came out, not sure if you read it. Uh, I've heard about it. I haven't read it yet. So it's uh, Chris, Chris McDougall wrote, wrote a really nice story about these Indians down in the Copper Canyons of Mexico that come to the United States age 50 something and win the 100 mile trail race is wearing a sandal. Oh, wow. And so they were wondering how they're performing so well. And they went down there and they actually wrote a book about it. Um, but the sad reality is, as great as that book was, and it's this message that we're talking about here today, there was a lack of awareness that you can't just suddenly change your body from the two-inch heel or the tapered toe box or the toe spring or the rigid sole and all of a sudden just go barefoot. Mm. Um, you'll get hurt. Okay. In fact, uh, in Portland this time of year, the sun comes out. We've got a beach about an hour away. People go to the beach and they've been cooped up inside rainy, cold Portland wearing stiff boots. Sons out, they're with their family and friends, having a good time. Either go barefoot or in a flip flop and do 200 times more uh, activity than they've done for six months, and then they come to my office and they talk about their arches hurting and their plantar fascia hurts. Mm-hmm. Prior to reading Dr. Rossi, I would say, "Well, duh, you shouldn't walk in your bare feet. You know, <laughs> yeah. you can't. Flip flops are unsupportive." Yeah, but obviously now I realize it's a training error to um. ask any by anybody's body to make a sudden switch. So the other piece of it that needs to be taken about very, very slowly is the transition. Okay. And everybody listening to this has a different body and different history with footwear. And so there's no universal formula that, that can be applied, but just to say, go real slow. Yeah. Um, we, we just got a, a balance study published, and we're really excited about this. It does pertain to the work that you guys are doing.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: We took three groups of people and um, did the Starburst Excursion Balance Test. Yeah. So we took the first group. They, they were our control group. They didn't change anything. We did the test on them. They stayed in their high-heeled fashion athletic shoes. Okay. We took the second group and put them in a shoe called LEMS, mm-hmm. which is very minimal shoe, a little bit of air-blown rubber, and that's it. Okay. In fact, the LEMS company is really fascinating because the guy that started the company, I, I had him read Dr. Rossi, and when he got done reading Dr. Rossi, he said, do you mean to tell me that this guy wrote about this till he was 92 years old and nobody made the shoe? I said, yeah, nobody <laughs> wow. made the shoe. Yeah. So Andrew Rademacher from LEMS decided to mimic what Dr. Rossi talked about, and they're a very popular brand now, but our second group put the LEMS on, did the did the test, they were a bit better than the control group. The third group put on our, our silicone toe separator and the limbs okay. and had statistically significant improvements in balance. Oh, wow. Even when they took the lems and the correct toes off, retested them, they had learned something. Um, and that yeah. just got published in the Journal of Sports Rehabilitation. Oh, wow. So for anybody who I mean, wants to look it at that. Makes total
1: sense. I mean, whenever it, I have people in the clinic, one of the first things I'm doing is getting people out of their shoes, not only for the evaluation – But for almost every exercise, unless we're like running and jumping over hurdles, I'm like, let's get out of your shoes. You need to be barefoot. You need to feel the ground. And most people, they don't really make that connection of why it's so important.
2: It's true. Yeah, Yeah, you're absolutely right. Wow. That's
1: so crazy. Well, um, the last question that I really had, one of the most important ones, when it comes to orthotics – you see so many people out there, so many questions. You'll see that people will say, well, my mother had an orthotic, my father had an orthotic, you know, my foot's hurting. I need an orthotic. What different things, like I know you said you still prescribe orthotics for a small portion of your uh, patient load. What are some of the factors that determines whether or not someone should have an orthotic or whether or not they just need to really work on getting into a better footwear working on their foot stability, their foot structure and balance, things like that. That's more, I would say, the rehab side of things versus using also the orthotic. What's sort of that distinction?
2: Yeah. Um, So I'll I'll work it up as I would with a patient. So Mm -hmm. the patient comes in, I show them the baby footprint. Um, I show them how baby shoes are made like natural human feet, widest at the tips of the toes, I talk a little bit about the Brannock device and how it's widest at the ball. We start literally deforming our feet and our toes at about age two or three for all of us.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: And um, well, actually, this is after I've listened to their history and telling me about what their problems are. And a lot of them will tell me, well, I have flat feet.
1: Yeah, or, I hear that all the time.
2: Yeah. Or I'm an overpronator. Or like you said, my mom had to wear orthotics her whole life. Um, so this is one of my favorite things to show people, and I'm excited to get this opportunity to talk about it um it's captured in the video that i talked about pronation versus over pronation okay so what i do is i have the patient stand up in front of me in their bare feet with their feet about shoulder width apart
0: mm-hmm.
2: and a lot of them are runners so they already know what pronation and supination is because most of the devices that have been sold to them for the last 35 years <laughs> have been based on you're an over pronator put this up under your arch um, okay. and i actually worked for Superfeet. Northwest Podiatric Labs for five years until I started having people stand on the orthotic and nobody Nobody's feet were as narrow as the orthotic. So Mm -hmm. I again saw that problem. But the answer to that question is If you have that person standing in front of you feet shoulder-width apart Have them just relax and pronate one or both of their arches Mm -hmm. and see how much it'll pronate look at the big toe position and you know, the coupling mechanism that it will occur as soon as the arch rolls downward, the lower leg will internally rotate. Mm-hmm. So I draw their attention to all this. They see it, they feel it. Then I take one or both of their feet and ask them to supinate
0: okay,
2: a little bit beyond neutral. Then I will pull their big toe over just like I did with Chris mm-hmm. in the video. And then I'll ask them to very, very slowly pronate their arch. And in about three to five percent of my patient population even when their big toe is in natural position their arch will go completely down to the floor Hmm. so if they're a person who's got multiple joint issues foot knee hip back etc um i still do all the same footwear and i still use a toe orthotic Mm
0: -hmm. but in
2: that patient population if they're dysfunctional i will also use a conventional arch orthotic Gotcha. so this is an important distinction to make. I try to help people understand it's not an either or proposition. It's not like you either strengthen your feet and you do natural foot health or you go conventional podiatry. Even if you need an orthotic for a period of time, you still want to strengthen. Mm -hmm. And even if you need an orthotic, you still want your big toe to be in its proper position. Yeah. But this is so fascinating, Aaron, how many times that maneuver is able to change people's minds about their body Mm
0: -hmm.
2: and what they need and what they don't need, more importantly. And I probably don't need to tell you that the orthotic industry is a very lucrative business, multi-billion dollar business. Sure. Um, I made a lot of my early income from orthotics and it's a good income to make, unfortunately, mm-hmm. which I think keeps some people from actually putting the patient and the athlete first, which mm-hmm. would be to strengthen them, as a, in, in my opinion, as opposed to immobilize them. Mm-hmm. Plus, some of the studies that you know um, that I'm really excited about are when we go into more of a natural shoe and wear and, and go barefoot, our arch muscles get stronger. Mm-hmm. The opposite occurs when you, we start putting things up under our arch, stiff shoes and so forth. So um, the few people that I do make orthotics for either have a soft tissue abnormality like Ehlers-Danlos syndrome, they're hyperflexible all over their body and they're gonna be bettered by an orthotic, we still try to strengthen them. The other people who are also in my experience rare have a true structural biomechanical problem
0: Hmm.
2: and without getting too um geeky or anatomically nerdy um one good example is a lady that i see about every six to seven years she's a massage therapist stands on her feet every day she kept rupturing her perineal tendons Hmm. and after about the second or the third surgical repair um she she reasoned that maybe there was something biomechanical wrong and maybe she should get it looked at so she came and visited with me and again not to get too technical um because your audience might not be familiar with things that you and i are familiar with like the valgus and varus and four foot varus and valgus and compensated and uncompensated but essentially this lady had a only one foot this is the other fascinating thing about her one of her feet the whole front of her foot was was in valgus
0: mm.
2: compared to her rear foot yeah so when she walked forward she was fine until her forefoot hit the ground and then she had to have a massive resupination oh wow and, and obviously her perineals fought that and ruptured repeatedly so i make her an orthotic every six to seven years it lifts up the outside part of her foot because mm-hmm. she can't compensate mm the bones in her midfoot are rigid. So unless she has an operation, which she doesn't want to have that, we've got her completely comfortable wearing an orthotic. Um, So that's an example of somebody who needs an orthotic for the rest of their life, unless they're going to have an operation. And that's not a simple operation to do and not one that you probably are going to want to have if you can get comfortable just with using something simple like an orthotic. But again, in my experience, it's less than 5%. Um, If people rupture their plantar fascia or, if we just want to immobilize something, we can do that for a while, but I don't believe in the long-term strategy of propping up people's arches for the rest of their life. Yeah, um, so you'd see a lar- I, very large portion of people
1: who either deem that they have a flat foot because they've gone to a podiatrist or any type of other medical doctor, physical therapist, and they've been given an orthotic. A large portion of those people are in a bad position. They're, they're, they should not be in an orthotic is what I'm saying.
2: I, I absolutely agree. Yeah. Um, and that's why sometimes I will, I will use the term weak, weak foot mm. um, to describe that flat foot. Um, big toe is not an anatomic alignment. Intrinsic muscles are too long. They can't shorten up and get strong. Um, so that's not a pathologic flat foot. That's a weak foot that's malpositioned. Mm. And I think that's what most people who prop their arches up are dealing with. I think, um, and you may agree, if we get a lot of these people's big toe position where it needs to be, a lot of their issues would resolve themselves. Um, so there's several kinds of flat feet. There's feet that function flat within footwear that won't allow the arch to maintain itself. There's feet that function flat because the intrinsics are just, they're, they're, they're not doing the work they should.
1: So instead of dropping hundreds of dollars on an orthotic, I know the correct toes that you came up with, um, vast, vast difference in price range and huge, huge payoff in what it can actually do to correct for your foot and just getting it into a better position changes everything.
2: You bet. Um, thank you for saying that, Aaron. I absolutely, um, which is fascinating to me because I'm used to prescribing previously expensive things like orthotics and surgery, you know, yeah. so see something so cost effective and natural. Mm-hmm. We're not, we're not, we're not expecting people's bodies to do something they would never intend to do. We're doing the opposite. Mm-hmm. We're actually putting the body back into its natural alignment and letting the structure do what it knows to do best. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's, it's been a lot of fun. Um, not breaking the bank by building people's <laughs> bodies. Um, plus it's got a money back guarantee. So if people want to try it and you don't yeah. like it. Fine. You know, send it back. We'll refund you.
1: No, I know when I first started using the correct hose, it obviously recommended, like you said, don't just jump straight into it. If you've never done it before, especially if you've been in a bad shoe for such a long time, I think it recommended like 10, 15, even 20 minutes at a time at first and then building up. Um, and then eventually, like, I think my wife and I went, took our dog for like a two mile walk the other day. I put him in my shoes. I just had a pair of barefoot shoes and felt completely normal the entire time. Um, do you get to the point where you see people that will wear it for a very long extended time, like throughout their entire day, or is it not meant to, to be worn that long?
2: Uh, we've got athletes that have done 200 mile races in them. Oh, wow. Yeah. We have one athlete that, um, regularly does ultras and he was doing a hundred mile race for some sort of a charity Yeah, and he contacted us and he said you know I'm really I'm looking forward to this but I'm also not because at about mile 30 I start getting blisters mm. and um, which is common um, not natural it's normal and it's common um, but we actually set him up with ultra footwear correct toes toe socks and gingy toe socks and a pair of metatarsal pads Okay, he did the entire hundred miles with no blisters no pain nothing Um, But to your point, you got to go slow. We start out with about 30 minutes first day, an hour the next day. The most important thing is to not go too fast and also not to try to put it in shoes that it doesn't fit into. That's Mm. why we do the sock liner test. Yeah. Because plenty of people will buy it and they'll they'll be able to jam it into their existing shoe. But then about five minutes later, it's uncomfortable. And then they say, well, these toe separators don't work. I'm in pain. Mm. So you really have to be detailed in your approach to it. Makes sense. Um, But yeah, we've got... Plenty of people that have done multiple hundred mile races. I've run 35 miles at a time in them myself. I wear them all day. I don't feel them anymore. Oh, wow. Because my toes are used to being spread out. Um, Makes sense. Early on, though, everybody's toes are used to being squeezed in, and the muscles between the toes are short and contracted. And so that's the reason for the slow um, break in process. And the other piece is what we talked about earlier, <clears throat> which is people look at it and they say, well, what's the big deal? I'm just moving my toes a few millimeters apart. Mm-hmm. But the big deal is our tensegrity system. It's the it's the fact that the long and short um, flexors and extensors attach on the last toe bone. Mm. So this is also why we slow to get the body prepared to actually be in its natural state. Because if we rush, rush the natural state, that also doesn't feel right. Yeah. In fact, a lot of people will abandon that because it doesn't feel good because they try to do too much too soon.
1: Makes sense. So other than using the correct toes and repositioning our foot, getting another pair of shoes, slowly easing into it to get ourselves in a more natural foot position. What are some strengthening exercises or different things rehabilitation wise that you like to use with your patients to help them regain that natural strength of the foot now that it's slowly getting into a better position?
2: Yeah, so before we get into strengthening, we do two screening tests. One of them I noticed that you do from your work. That's the half-kneeling ankle dorsiflexion test. We test that because the reason why a lot of people hurt their Achilles tendons is they're really short and tight back there, and all of a sudden someone says, go wear a minimal barefoot natural shoe, and nobody tells them to adapt. So a lot of those people get hurt. Um, So we check that, and if they're excessively contracted and tight, we don't immediately get them barefoot or in a in a flat shoe. We might use a transition shoe, like five or six millimeters, and give them several months. Okay. So that's one screening test that we do. If they've got plenty of ankle um, compliance, we'll go ahead and start the process getting them into a, a flat shoe. The second screening test that we do um, is, and this is all uh, I've got a video called Shape of Strength. It's a twenty-minute video. It's on the website. You you could link to it. Um, okay. It shows it shows visuals of me going through these screening tests. Mm
0: -hmm.
2: But the second screening test is where we actually take a person's toes and we try to flex them.
0: Mm.
2: When I started my process, not only was my second toe sitting on top of my big toe, my first daughter was just born. And so I was looking at her feet and moving her feet and babies are very compliant and flexible, but I noticed she could flex 90 degrees. Mm. So I grabbed my foot and I tried to flex. (laughs) I had zero degrees of flexion. Because I was so short and tight in my extensors from the toe spring. Now I'm up to about 75 um, degrees of passive flexion. So the other screening test is I don't think people can effectively strengthen their intrinsic arch muscles if if their long extensors are short and tight. Okay. So if if they can't flex, it doesn't do any good to try to get them doing any short foot or any of the doming type stuff because they don't have they don't have the ability to get their intrinsics into their proper length to tension relationship.
0: Makes
2: sense. Interestingly, that same screening test is a rehab strategy. We call it the toe extensor stretch. Mm. So we have people sit or stand and start bending their toes in under their foot. Okay. And there's almost an immediate way of knowing if their intrinsics are weak. Most of those people will come back to the clinic and they'll say, "When I did that toe extensor stretch, my arch is cramped." Uh-huh. so we're putting their intrinsic's back into length, attention, relationship. The brain says, "Oh, okay, I'm going to do a contraction," but they're fighting against long contracted extensors, so they don't contract; they cramp for a while. Yeah, until they get get into that proper length, and then they can they can actually do a contraction. So, we did those first two screening tests, and and I talked to the patients about exercises. I've done a bunch of videos. I lecture about it whenever I speak, but it's, it's interesting. I think you could accomplish almost everything we need to accomplish without ever even having to do an exercise for your feet.
0: Mm-hmm. If
2: you just line them up properly and use them naturally. But, um, since a lot of people want to augment their recovery, I love the short foot exercises mm-hmm. also known as Janda or doming. Got some videos on that. Um, I love encouraging people just to start doing things with their toes, mm. and early on, people say, "Well, I can't even move my fifth toe." Yeah. I look at it and I try to tell the muscles to move, and <laughs> and they and they can't understand why they have no function. And then I explain to them, "Well, you've never engaged those muscles ever. Yeah. So why would they work? They're not going to do anything until you re- reacquaint them with normal motion. Um, I literally." clean floors in my house with my feet. I open doors, I turn on lights, um, mostly because I'm fascinated at the capability of our feet if we actually use them. Yeah. There's a, there's a lady in my community that was born with no arms. Oh, wow. And I was standing behind her in the coffee shop one day and she ordered a cup of coffee. She pulled her wallet out of her purse with her feet and pulled single bills out and paid for her coffee. I'm standing oh, wow. behind her watching this. It blew my mind. Yeah. Um, there's also videos all over the internet about kids doing all kinds of things because they're born with no arms. Yeah. The point is our toes can do almost the same things as our fingers can do, but people listening don't know this because they've not, Mm -hmm. their toes have been pinched in a triangle shape and held above the support surface. That's what they know. Yeah. Um, so footwear piece is critical. Um, starting to go barefoot more often is critical just using your feet more, um, picking things up. I I like to grab hacky sacks. I like all the melt systems and all the balls and all the bands. All that stuff is great. Mm -hmm. Um, Quite frankly, very few of my patients actually follow through on their exercises.
1: (laughs) Yeah. Uh, Patients don't like doing their home exercises. (laughs) they They don't. I know that was one of the big things that uh, like Shirley Sarman is one of the most well-known movement-based physical therapists in the entire world. She always said, you know, it's not about giving the the patient a perfect, you know, exercise, home exercise prescription. Just teaching them how to move well and teaching them how to do you know, movements like that throughout their day. So walking up and down stairs correctly, bending over to pick up their kid out of the crib in the right movement patterns and hinging at your hips. And I think the biggest thing people can take away from this is just understanding and illuminating sort of that mind-blown uh, picture of how important their feet are. And so many times people are so – obviously, we're so enamored with performance. We live in a performance-driven society. And we're always looking for that next little secret to give us that new PR or to take our our weightlifting, our powerlifting, our CrossFit to the next level. And sometimes it can be as simple as just thinking about your feet. It's not something you have to pay a lot of money and drop a lot of money to improve. It's just getting out of your shoes often and getting into a proper footwear if you can. And I'm still looking for, hopefully, uh, anyone that's listening to this that works for Nike, Adidas, or Reebok, any of those big uh, weightlifting shoe companies can make an actual a uh, wide toe box weightlifting shoe. I'd like to see that one day. Um, yeah,
2: they're working on it right now. I've had two meetings so far with two designers who are committed to that.
1: A weightlifting shoe with a raised heel
2: that's got a wide toe box. Actually not a raised heel, but a wide toe okay. box. Okay. Yeah. Gotcha. Yeah. Um, not as wide as I'd like, but yeah, I think really as wide as I would like freaks people out really. Oh yeah. You know? I think it's okay. going to take us a while to get over the social aversion of what our feet really look like.
1: For sure, there's times where I, you know, will wear the barefoot shoes and around the clinic, and people are like, "What kind of shoes are those? Those look so weird (laughs) because they're so wide, don't you know?" People say it looks like a clown shoe sometimes, and like, no, this is this is a natural shoe, and it feels so comfortable to just slide your foot in and be able to wiggle your toes. And I know I had a buddy that gave me, gifted me a pair of like Nike uh, Nike Air Maxes, you know, when I was when I left Kansas City, and man, sliding my foot into it, I'm like, I can't wear these, thank you, but. I mean, just yeah. going back into a normal shoe again, normal for our yeah. society, it's totally different. You can't even move your feet. It feels like you're wearing cowboy boots.
2: It's great that you brought that up because that's another super important take home piece for any of your audience who decides to go down this rabbit hole
0: yeah.
2: is, um, and I didn't expect this would happen, but as soon as we started doing this with people, it's exactly what you just said. People would come back. Mostly the ladies, um, would come back and they'd say, you know what? Yeah, my pain is gone thank you. I feel great. This is awesome. I'm running my marathon. Um, but I tried to wear my old, whatever, whatever, whether it be a work shoe, um, dance coat clog, whether it be, I went to a wedding. Um, and I had the same thing happen to me, but the point is, um, they'll come back and they'll say, I can't keep that old shoe on for five minutes without my body going on high alert. How did I wear that all day, every day? And was so unaware. Yep. Same thing happened to me is I read Dr. Rossi. I took it to heart. I actually, at that time, we didn't have any of the great shoes we've got now. So we had Crocs and we had Birkenstocks. Yeah. I ran my best marathon in a pair of Crocs. Oh, wow. And I look look like a nut, but I, (laughs) I didn't hurt. And I ran the next day, which was also a brand new experience. But the point is I got well, got over my pain, was starting to run well again. And then I went to a wedding and I bought a new pair of dress shoes and they only had a heel of an inch maybe. But my... Old back pain that I had forgotten about um, crept back up within a very short period of time. So, I guess another point for the audience would be that we should really respect the intricacies of our body, Mm -hmm. the little tiny things like toe position, because um, our bodies are wise, you know, and when we respect their wisdom, they will deliver for us. Mm -hmm. Um, And so, that's another thing that I would say if you go down this path, be prepared to be. Well within your body, but also be prepared to be thoroughly violated by footwear. Yeah, and so the gals say to me, "Well, um, can I ever dress up?" And I say, "Yeah, we well dress up, but you're going to hurt, you know." And the next thing I tell them is the most difficult thing I think in America is to be a healthy woman and look the part that fashion and culture dictates. In fact, another interesting tidbit about Dr. Rossi um his parents owned a shoe store mm. so he was fitting shoes on the weekends and he understood the relationship that people have with fashion he then became a podiatrist and he set up a practice but after a year and a half of practice he retired because he was bored with the predictability of treating foot pain Makes
0: sense.
2: um but the point i was going to make is the second half of his life after he wrote all about everything that i've learned from him and the papers that are on my website he was completely intrigued by how he could have the conversation that you and I are having for an hour with a young person
0: mm-hmm.
2: and their value system would be for their appearance as opposed to their health or their structure.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: And so he spent the second half of his life studying sociology and why people make the choices they make,
0: mm-hmm.
2: um, hoping to come up with a better way of describing why people should do this, you know, for their lifetime. Um, mm-hmm. But it's so deeply ingrained, and um, unfortunately, we got a lot of work to do to get people out of these bad positions.
1: That's true. And the nice thing, though, nowadays, and we're seeing more and more, uh, is companies that are creating a a barefoot style, minimal shoe, a a shoe that you can actually splay your toes out that actually look good. You know, it's not only like the Vibram 5 finger shoes that you would see 10 years, 15 years ago. Now, like, I got a pair of uh, field grounds, and they look just like, they look like Vans, you know, but they're comfortable shoe that you can actually spread your toes on in, which actually if I go back to my pair of slip-on Vans, I realize that they actually are a little bit more confined than I thought they were now that my feet have been spread out a little bit more. So we're seeing, and gosh, I scored through Instagram. I see maybe three or four different companies every day that are advertising and sponsoring posts that show sort of that barefoot style shoe. That is actually, it looks good. It looks like something you could wear to the office in a pair of khakis. And I mean, I think that's going to help at least give people some more options for wanting to be in a, a, you know, a fashionable pair of footwear, but also something that's not going to inhibit all the work that they're trying to do to, you know, also perform to their best when they're in the gym. Absolutely agree. So, yeah. Well, I just got to say, it's been about an hour now. Thank you so much for being on the podcast. I, every single month I find a new rabbit hole to go down. I think this last month it was, you know, the myth of ice and I read the book ice The illusionary treatment and it, it just blew my mind. And I went down the rabbit hole and now my new rabbit hole today in this past couple of weeks has been, you know, understanding the complexities of the foot and how our shoe wear, has been completely backwards in what we really need to perform to our greatest potential. And so finding the stuff that you have put out and I will link all those videos and all the blogs that you've mentioned, um, in the show notes for this show, and probably going to continue to try to make as much content for people in the future and link all your stuff to it. Uh, it's been uh, a very big eye-opening thing for me. So I really appreciate you coming on the show and sharing all your great information with everyone. Um, where else, where else can people find uh, your content at?
2: Yeah. Um, We've got two websites, www.correcttoes.com is probably the one that most people are gonna wanna visit for articles and studies and so forth. We also have the clinical website, um, nwfootankle.com. We've got about 90 videos out on YouTube, quick little three, four minute blurbs about some of the stuff you and I talked about today, including the shoe liner test, some of the strengthening, stretching, footwear. Um, But I'm most excited to say I just um, joined with a group called the Healthy Foot Alliance. Mm. And we just launched a couple weeks ago. Um, it's open to community members, Healthy Foot Communities on Facebook, if anybody wants to get on there. Um, we really want to bring everybody who's in this space together, doctors, therapists, um, coaches, trainers, athletes, shoe companies, mm-hmm. product companies, um, and collectively add our voices to one voice, as opposed to there's many people like me throughout the world who are a small, isolated little silo of foot education,
0: mm-hmm.
2: making our own little inroads. But we we envision something so much more powerful if we can partner. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's I'm going to be very involved with that. Um, let's see where else. A lot of the meetings I was going to have actually, unfortunately, been canceled. Um, you know, I, I I do a fair bit of speaking as well. So it looks like maybe some of the speaking is going to be Zoom and webinars and that kind of stuff. Um, yeah. And then certainly if anybody's out in Portland, Oregon, come on out, we're, we're here more than welcome to visit. We've got a shoe store within the clinic, we've got the clinic, um, yeah.
1: Perfect. All right. Well, thank you again so much for coming on the show and everyone else. Uh, if you enjoyed this podcast, share it with your friends, let others know how important the function of your foot is and the first steps you can do to sort of reclaim this natural foot position, which in the end is going to help you move better and lift more weight and regain sort of that pain-free lifestyle, which is at the end you know, of the day, what our really goal, our big goal is with Squat University. So until next week, guys, happy squatting.
0: That's it for today, class, on Squat University by Dr. Aaron Horschig. For more exclusive content, log on to squatuniversity.com.